If you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 4 with me this morning. I want to look at a man together, at a, a part in his life that is interesting. Uh, almost a biopic of pride in a way. I want to look at Nebuchadnezzar this morning together. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he doesn't have a rags to riches story. He has more of a riches to rags kind of story. He, start, he has a whole bunch and then he loses it all, although it's interesting is that his really isn't riches to rags, it's riches to rags and then back to riches at the end of his life. He goes from eating in a palace to living on a prairie. Uh, he goes from eating steak to then eating grass like a cow. Uh, he goes from making decisions to, for a nation to not having a mind at all. Uh, he is humbled, uh, unlike really any other man we can think of in Scripture. Uh, what's that phrase we say, the greater you are, the harder you that applies to him. Uh, he was a man with a lot, and that wasn't the problem. The problem was his pride. And we're going to talk about his pride this morning. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. He was rich and powerful. I mean, they're the most powerful nation at his time. They've conquered the Assyrians. They've taken over Egypt. They've besieged Jerusalem. They would eventually capture it. He lived in a palace. I mean, we think we have nice houses. He lived in a royal palace. Uh, Babylon was almost 200 square miles with a brick wall surrounding it. If you want to know how rich this man was, some of the bricks that archaeologists have found have his name like imprinted on the brick. I don't know when you built your house if you put your name on all the pieces of wood, but there you go. That's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He has his own name on the brick wall surrounding Babylon. Uh, he would have images and statues throughout the city, like Daniel chapter 3, where there's a golden image that one Bible translation says is 90 feet tall. It was a magnificent city. It has the Hanging gardens, which today are considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This man had it. If you could think about it, he had it. Uh, he had everything he could ever want, or so he thought. But all of that got to his head. And he goes from riches to rags because of one simple thing, and that is pride. I don't know how often we preach or discuss pride. I was talking with a brother a few months ago here, and he actually said, you ever heard a sermon on pride? And I said, I think so. And he goes, I don't know if I have. And so if you know who you are, this one's for you a little bit. When we think of sin, I think we overlook pride. We tend to think of other things first. Maybe we see a collection of sins that seem more egregious to us and our, our visual capabilities. We see sins or we think about sins that, I don't know, trigger us physically. Maybe it's uh, we think of sins that we can never see ourselves doing, or we think of maybe the sin in our life that we struggle with the most, and those are the big sins, maybe. But in Scripture, there's not one sin that you could put up against pride and say it's greater than. I mean, pride really is dangerous, it is damaging, and it's evil. I mean, just think about uh, some of what the Bible says about it. Our, our verse this morning that we read together, James chapter 4 and verse 6, God opposes the proud. Opposes. Like he lines up against in a way. That's his opposition. Uh, pride is what caused mankind to fall in the beginning. Adam and Eve, one of the reasons they sinned and caused this curse, or that man has caused this curse, was pride. I deserve it. I need it. I'm worth it. They thought more highly of themselves than they should have. That's pride. Satan to a degree. What has made him the being he is today, who is spreading lies, trying to cause death, is pride. When God, by inspiration, had written down the seven things that he hates, do you know what the first one on the list was? Pride. The Proverbs talk about this over and over again. Proverbs 16, five, uh, verse 5, 
The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus himself would say in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself, though, will be exalted. I don't know if we think of pride as being dangerous, but understand pride is incredibly dangerous. And it's something we have to be on the lookout for in our own lives. Nebuchadnezzar, his story is a biopic on pride and the dangers of it. What we learn is that those who stand in pride fall in humility. That's a truth for every single person. Whether you are a leader of a nation, whether you are in a role in government, whether you are a leader of the church, whether you are an individual on this planet, when you stand in pride, you will fall in humility. Of course, one day everyone will fall in humility. Every knee shall bow before Jesus. But we're talking a little bit of a different kind of falling in humility here. This morning, I don't want you to leave and just think, yeah, pride's a bad thing. Pride's dangerous. Let's not be proud. That's not the goal this morning, although I want us to all understand the extreme danger of pride in our life. But what I would like to do is look at Nebuchadnezzar's life, and in his life, you see really, you see this pride throughout in a way. But there are four signs of pride in a conversation that he has. And I want us to take those signs and look at them and maybe say, okay, is that in my life? Uh, one of the worst things doctors say you can do is when you have a symptom to go check WebMD. Some of you are laughing because that's what you do. If there are any worriers in here, that's the worst thing you could ever do on the planet. Okay. I have a cough. I looked it up online. Next thing you know, I'm dying in 30 seconds. That's what happens when you go on WebMD. You might have some of these signs in your life. And I'm not necessarily saying that you have some great big problem with pride that you better fix by the end of today or else you are going to have some drastic thing happen to you like Nebuchadnezzar did where you're now eating grass like an animal for seven periods of time. But maybe it is an indication for you and I if we see some symptoms of pride or some signs of pride to say maybe I need to take a, take a second Look at my life and make some changes. So uh, if you would look at Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to start reading uh, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 12, as I've, as I've lost it already. We haven't started and I've lost it. Uh, we're going to start in verse 28, just to catch you up real quick. Uh, King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he has these dreams, and Daniel, uh, also known in Scripture as Belteshazzar, that's his Babylonian name given to him, he would interpret these dreams. He's done it once before. And we see in Daniel chapter 3, there's a second dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he needs someone to interpret it. Daniel interprets it, but the issue is it's not a very good dream. In fact, Daniel says, I, I, I hope this is not about you, Nebuchadnezzar. It is, but I hope this isn't to you. And he interprets this dream to Nebuchadnezzar of, hey, here's what's going to happen to you. And what we find out is it, 12 months pass from this interpretation. And this is where we pick up in verse 28. So look at verse 28 with me in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom He will. 
Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among, driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. If, if we pause right there, I, I want us to look at really those first two verses in verse 28 and, and verse 30. And we see four signs, and the first one is this. Notice this, he loved to speak about himself. Do you see that? In verse 28 through 30, look at it one more time. It says, at the end of 12 months. So by the way, Daniel said, hey, you need to repent. You need to plead for mercy, pursue righteousness. 12 months has passed because this is going to happen to you. And this is the first thing we hear him say. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Uh, this is the first time we see him speak recorded for us at, at the end of this 12 months or 12 months later. And it's self-centered language, isn't it? It's me, it's my, it's I. It's about, you know, moi kind of thing. This is who he's all about at this time. Nebuchadnezzar's all about himself. You know, it's not wrong to talk about yourself. It's not wrong to talk about yourself. Did you know the average person talks about themselves 60% of the time in person? 60% of your conversations in person, they're about you. Online, that number goes up to 80%. We talk about ourselves a lot. I mean, a lot. And we're not saying that's wrong. Sharing information with other people about ourselves helps us to connect. Talking to other people helps us to be relatable. And that's not the issue here. The problem is not that he talks about himself. It's the manner in which he does, isn't it? It's filled with ego and boasting. And it's filled with just... Language that shows you he's very proud of himself. Uh, I have built by my power. Uh, I, me, my. That's the the kind of person Nebuchadnezzar is at this point. He sounds like a terrible person to talk to, doesn't he? If we're being kind of honest. Do you want to talk to this guy? Do you want to have a long conversation with him? You ever talk to somebody who makes everything about them? Like they have a spiritual gift to bring every conversation back to them. You know some of those people. Don't point at them. Don't do that. I see, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, you sit there and you think, how many sentences can we go before you mention yourself again? That's, that's, you know, we've all encountered that. Maybe sometimes we've been that person. Uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, it appears like if he, had a, if he had a Spotify playlist in 2023, that the first song on his list would be, I Want to Talk About Me by Toby Keith. That's the kind of person he is. Me, 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 me. Uh, that's, that's what we see. Because his riches and his wealth and everything he had made him think about him. And that's who he wanted to talk about. He was a proud man. And, and that seems really simple of a point. It's not wrong to talk about yourself, but maybe just to pause for a moment. In our conversations in our life, who is the person we talk about the most? Who is it that our conversations are filled with over and time again? Do we always bring it back to us? What's the purpose in doing that when we talk to other people? Do we listen to other people with the intent of hearing them? Or are we only waiting to get back to the subject of me? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know where you're listening, but I'm really not listening to you. I'm just waiting to get my, my words back. That seems to be the kind of guy he is in this moment in his life. When it comes to us, would someone walk away from a conversation with you and I and say, man, they're really self-absorbed? If that's the case, maybe there's a little bit of pride. There's a little too much investment in ourselves that we need to think about. Once again, it's not wrong to talk about yourself. I want to learn about you. I want to know about you, what you're interested in, what you do, what you've done. But there's a difference in doing that 
and being proudful and being boastful and having an ego. And when it comes to Nebuchadnezzar, we see an ego from the beginning. So number one, one sign was he loved to talk about himself, but notice number two, he needed the credit. It wasn't just that he wanted to talk about himself and all the things he had, but he needed the credit. The credit. People find their value and worth in themselves often, and they do so in multiple ways. One way is they, they find value in their possessions. He would say, hey, look, I have great Babylon. I have this royal residence. Look at me. Look at what, look at what I have. Another way people find value is in their accomplishments. Notice what else he says here. Which I have built. I've done this. This, this great city you see, this nation you see, I did that. That's, on, that's off my back. See, for the proud person, it's, it's not enough to simply have or to be a part of something. They have to have the credit for it too. They're that person in the group project that has to, has to know, I did all this. I did this. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful person. The most powerful nation at the time. He enjoyed the finest things in life, but that wasn't enough because he needed it to be about him. I have built by my power. I find that interesting. How much of this kingdom do you think he actually built? None of it. You think he put a single brick down? No. Do you think he even lifted a finger? I'm sure he told people what to do. But did he actually do any of it? Probably not. Did he really accomplish any of this on his own? He says, for my glory, for my majesty. You see who it's about. It was about him. I need the credit. I need the praise. I need the recognition. That's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. You know, without the praise, without the attention, I wonder if he would have enjoyed everything he had. He had it all. But would he actually enjoy it without the credit or attention? It's something to think about. See, pride tells you and I that we need the credit and praise for all we do. You ever see the people who film themselves doing charitable deeds? I'm not saying that's always wrong. I think it's encouraging sometimes to see the good things people are doing for others. But we also have a culture on like YouTube and online where everyone films themselves doing stuff for other people. I just find that weird. Like, what's the purpose? Is it to help somebody, to be charitable, or is it to, to get a little more credit and notoriety for what you're doing? We have a weird culture like that where we want the praise and credit for all we do. You know, we, we talk about posting online. Sometimes all we post is our accomplishments and our accolades and look what I did and and anything you do, I'll one-up it. We can easily be those kind of people. Uh, where that's our, and that's our pride talking. But Jesus was never this way. Jesus didn't understand Jesus deserves our praise and he's going to get it from people. But he didn't have an ego that needed recognition every moment of every single day. He would do something good for somebody and then he would just go to the other side. He would leave thousands of people to go help one we see in the Gospels. He didn't need all the credit and recognition. And why we need that is that's our pride talking when we say that. See, the proud person, they struggle to do anything if they're not going to receive attention for it. They need the credit, and it bothers them when they don't receive it. And so what about you and I? When it comes to our life, do we give? Do we serve? Are we helpful? Are we mindful of others? Even if no one will ever notice. You know, would I serve or work if nobody knew what I did? If I never received a thank you? If I never got any credit for my contribution, if no one ever patted me on the back, if I never got any praise, if no one ever posted about it on Facebook, would I work hard? Would I enjoy the results of what I have? Would I still do? Because when it came to Nebuchadnezzar, he struggled. He wanted attention and he wanted credit. And if that's us, that might be a sign of a little bit of pride in our life. But notice another one. 
He refused to recognize God. It's a big one. It's probably the biggest one on the list. This and the next one. One big sign of pride in our life is when we refuse to recognize God. Uh, we talked about him having this nation, and he'd say, I built it by my, by my hand or for my majesty. See, Nebuchadnezzar failed to see God's hand in anything. All his possessions, his kingdom, his rule, he was responsible for it in his eyes. But what's interesting is the Bible tells us a vastly different story from that. So in Deuteronomy, when God made the promise, made his covenant to his people, he would tell them in many passages like this one in verse 25 through 27, listen, the generations that come after you, your children, your children's children, when they've grown old, if they act corruptly, if they turn to false images and carve idols, if they do what's evil in the sight of the Lord, it will provoke him to anger. And I'm kind of paraphrasing this, this one. But he says, look, you'll be destroyed. You'll be scattered. He, he told them this would happen. And guess what they do? Their children's children, they do this very thing. This is Isaiah. Isaiah says this to Hezekiah. This is a hundred years before Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. He says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. This is why they besieged Jerusalem. This is why they were so successful. It really wasn't because of Babylon. It was because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. Jeremiah made this judgment the very same year that Nebuchadnezzar would march. He'd say, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts in Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9, because you have not obeyed my, word, obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. He, notice he says that, my servant. I'm using this guy who's really not one of my faithful people. I'm using him for my purposes because of their unfaithfulness. And he says, my servant, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Why am I sharing that with you? Because hundreds of years before Nebuchadnezzar came into power and had this great nation and all of these things in this royal palace, God already knew that was going to happen. Who deserves the credit for Nebuchadnezzar and his rule? It was God. God put him there. God's the one that caused it to happen. And yet Nebuchadnezzar looks at his life and he refuses to recognize God's hand in anything. He says, no, I did this. This is because of, because of me. While he thinks he made it, God said, I, I gave it to him. And what's interesting is in that passage we read earlier, God cut off Nebuchadnezzar in the middle of his words when he started talking about what he had done. God didn't even let him finish his sentence. God said, I, I, can't, I can't hear this anymore. You notice what he said there? Look at that underline period. This is what's going to happen to you until when? Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God gave it to him. This isn't you, Nebuchadnezzar. This was because of me, God says. Yet he refused to recognize him. And so God decided to humble him. I play this game with my dogs. I don't know if you're a dog person or a cat person. I pray you're a dog person. I just pray. Uh, I won't go further into that. I don't want to get uh, tomatoes thrown at me. Um, but I'm a dog person. I, I have two dogs at the house. And I play this game with them where they want att- I have attention-seeking dogs. Maybe you do too. And I'll do this thing where I get by them, but I look the opposite direction. And they're over here looking at me. And what happens is over time, 
they get angry and frustrated. And maybe your dog's similar where they, that's when they start making noises. You know, they whimper. Maybe they bark. I have one that he'll just come get your nose and he'll just like move your face. Like he'll come back over here. But it's almost like, okay, pay attention to me. Recognize me. Recognize me. And at some point after a while, if you won't recognize me, I will make sure you're going to recognize me. That's my dog's. That's kind of what God's doing here with Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, I've given this to you. You going to give me any credit? You going to see me? You going to recognize me? Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And eventually he said, okay, I'm going to make sure you recognize me. I'm going to make sure you know who gave it to you. He says, you didn't recognize me, and that, that's, a, that's a problem. See, I think we can do that too. We can look at our houses and our cars. We can look at our toys. We can look at our families. We can look at our bank accounts, our talents, anything we have in life, and say, well, that's because of me. That's my ability. That's my talent. That's the hard work I put in. Listen, we might play a part in it, but who does it all go back to? It's God. God gave us those things. And a refusal to recognize that says that we have some pride in us that we have to deal with. When it comes to who you are and what you have, who is that because of? It's God. It shouldn't be us that we think is responsible for it. When it comes to the good things in our life and the greatness in our own individual lives, is that a result of our ability and our effort, or are those gifts from a a very gracious God? Those are gifts. Do we recognize that? You know, we just had Thanksgiving We talk about count our blessings. We have a Devo service for it. During the year, when we think about the good things in our life, who do we recognize for those? Hopefully that's God. And if not, maybe that says there's some pride in our life. And if we want to check and see, hey, is there pride in my life? How often do we say thank you? How often do we tell God, hey, thank you for what you've done for me, what you've given to me. Everything I have and that I am is because of you. If we're not telling him thank you, if we're silent, if we don't share gratitude, if we praise ourselves but never really praise God, genuinely praise God for what he's done, maybe there's some pride. And that's a sign that we need to do some, some soul searching and maybe make some changes. That was the third sign that we see of pride in his life. But look at the last one. Another big one. Nebuchadnezzar did not see his sin. This point doesn't come from what you see in the text. This point comes from what you don't see. In the text. In verse 27, Daniel tells him, Hey, you, you need to repent. You need to plead for mercy. You need to pursue righteousness. And then it says, 12 years later, or 12 years, 12 months later, this is the first thing he says. We don't see repentance anywhere. It doesn't appear that Nebuchadnezzar even sees he has a problem. He just keeps living, keeps thinking the way he does. He has the same attitude. We never see anything that looks like he understands he has sinned. Or that he sees his sin. In fact, the very next words he gave, he doubled down. Here's the thing with pride. Pride keeps you from seeing yourself as you are. It scares me sometimes, women, all the makeup you put on. I've seen some videos where like, sometimes you look like a completely different person when you take off all the makeup. No one in here. You are all beautiful. But I've seen, it's like you're a completely different person. You're a completely different person. You've seen that? You've seen those videos where it's like, you, go, you went from just normal average person to supermodel, like in 35 seconds. How'd that happen? I don't know. But here's the issue with pride. It's kind of like makeup. It, it makes you see yourself different than who you are. Like you look in the mirror and you think you're great, but that's not really what is. And Nebuchadnezzar has this problem. And the issue with pride is, is proud people, they don't ask for forgiveness because in their mind, they don't have any need to be forgiven. 
Why do I need to be forgiven? I'm fine enough. I'm good enough. I haven't done anything. See, pride causes us to be conceited. It's haughtiness. It's having an ego that's so inflated that we can't see our own sin. We can't admit we have flaws or weaknesses or we've made dumb decisions because we have to be right. We have an image to uphold. And I can't let anybody know anything other than that. Don't you see that sometimes with high-profile celebrities when they get caught? You know, they get caught in sin or something happens, and instead of admitting they were wrong, despite the mounting evidence against them, they just double down. I'm going to hold on for all my might because I have an image i got to uphold. Instead of saying, yeah, I messed up, it's, no, well, look at what they did, or, well, I didn't do this. That's pride. And if we can't see our own sin... That means there's some pride within us. The Bible is filled with individuals like this who could not see themselves correctly. How often do we admit we're wrong? Is our go-to stance, it was them? Or is our go-to stance, maybe the fault was mine? That's a great question. That's a great statement to think about every time there's an issue. Maybe the fault is mine. Maybe. Maybe. Are we able to see our own failures, our own bad choices? Um, does God have to pull teeth, pull our teeth for us to admit sin or mistake? Does someone have to pull or yank our chain to get us to admit when we've been wrong? Or does God have to work something into our lives like he did with Nebuchadnezzar to force us to swallow our pride and admit our faults? How often do we spend time in confession with God? You know, is my immediate reaction to justify and ignore or is it to admit fault? That says something about us. And it says something about whether we have pride within us or not. And when it came to Nebuchadnezzar, he could not see his sin. And so God said, if you will not humble yourself, I will do the humbling for you. See, understand this. It's far better to humble ourselves than for God to do it for us. Seven periods of time. Some commentators say that's seven years. Can you imagine eating grass for seven years? He went from filet mignon to eating like a cow. He couldn't think. He lost his mind. He was an animal for all intents and purposes for seven years because he wasn't willing to let go of pride. God had to humble him. And God, when God humbled him, it, it really was humiliating. You ever felt that way? You ever had maybe your sin come out and it, it's humiliating when someone finds out or when you're confronted? And what's interesting is while that is really... It's terrible, isn't it? That moment you're embarrassed and you're low and you can't believe people know what you've done or, and you're, you're humbled. But what's interesting is it's also the best thing that ever happens to us. Because look, pick up with me where we left off in verse 34. This terrible thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar was the best thing that ever happened to him. It says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Just pause right there. The guy who only talked about himself, the first thing he says when he comes back from this humiliation is, I'm talking about God. And the guy who needed all the credit there says, you know, the credit goes all to him. And the one that refused to recognize God, the first thing he did was recognize God. 
And he, he saw himself for who he, who he truly was. He could see his sin, and he could see the greatness of God. That's what happens when you're humbled. While it's sometimes the worst thing that we think can happen to us, for people to know our sin, or for us to realize we're wrong, or to be embarrassed, or to be made low, it's also the best thing that could ever happen to us. Because then we see who we really are, but we also see who God is. Remember James chapter 4 and verse 6 that we read this morning? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You and I have a God who is gracious. Um, he, is, he is incredibly gracious. There we are. Sorry. Who's incredibly gracious, despite how often you and I get it wrong, how often we see everything incorrectly, how often we switch places with Him, how often we mess up and we think too highly of ourselves. He still loves us enough that when we humble ourselves, He will give us grace. It's a wonderful promise Jesus made when he said, He who humbles himself shall be exalted. We have a God that if we will live for him, he will lift us up one day. We will receive honor. We will receive glory. We'll get the praise. We'll get some credit while we praise him for who he is. If we are willing to simply humble ourselves. Those are four signs. Four signs in his life to see his pride. If you find any of those signs in your own life, like I do, Maybe take some time this week to think about that and to try to humble yourself. I don't think there's a better place to start than praying about it. Um, if we're not willing to humble ourselves, humble ourselves, God will find a way to do it. But let's humble ourselves. And if we have those signs, let's work on that this week. Uh, this morning, that sermon doesn't necessarily lend itself to an invitation. It, it might be this morning, you've never come before God humbly, admitting who you are before Him, that you're a sinner in need of His grace. We'd love to help you do that this morning and become a Christian. It may be that you've let pride creep back into your life and you've been living for yourself. You haven't really recognized God. You haven't seen your sin and you see it this morning. We would love to encourage you uh, while you make a commitment to God to work on that sin. Or it may be that you just simply need encouragement for something going on in your life. Uh, If you do have a need this morning, uh, come now, come forward while we stand and while we sing.